Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. have perfect fetish. Hello, how are you? And you're very welcome to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. It's lovely to have your company this evening. Waves are better than anything in books. Better than movies. Better even than a ride at Disneyland. Because with them, the charge of water was uncontrived. It was real and you could learn to manoeuvre around them. How long to wait on the bottom. How to swim outside beyond the break. And eventually, how to body surf. So writes journalist, author and legendary surfer William Finnegan in his awe-inspiring memoir, Barbarian Days, which won the 2016 Pulitzer Prize for Biography. Well, tonight in Talking Books, we're going to travel from California to Sri Lanka to Fiji, Australia, South Africa and further field, chasing waves with William Finnegan and unpack whether surfing is a sport or a spiritual practice. Hello, my name is William Finnegan. Uh, I'm an American writer. I've recently written a memoir called Barbarian Days, A Surfing Life, but I've written a number of journalistic books also about war and poverty. I'm a staff writer at The New Yorker magazine. I've been here since 1987, so do a lot of international reporting and conflict reporting. William, what a charming and interesting life. You've really gone for it in so many different ways. I might throw you um, a big wide open question to start off with. You describe surfing as a secret garden not easily entered and talk a lot about terror and enchantment and obsession and all the complexities that that brings up. I'm just wondering, is it fair to describe surfing as a state of being in the world, that it's a path of sorts, it's a choice, it's a life decision? Yeah, I think that's all 
fair. I mean, it can be overblown. But um, there is this way in which surfing is not like other things. I mean, it's really not like a sport. It's it's um, uh, something you need to put generally many years into and start quite young um, to to be able to enter into it, to be able to do it halfway competently and 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 forget about the sort of basics of you know, catching waves and standing up and and proceed toward the toward the waves and and what what you really want to be doing and and into more serious surfing and that. I've spent this ridiculous number of years chasing waves all over the world, and people I've done it with are as much a part of the story, certainly, as the surfing itself. Um, and and you do feel like you've entered this this world that that's not easily seen by anybody else. I mean, what its terms are and 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 what it is you're chasing, it's it's not obvious at all at a glance um, from you know the uh, to the uninitiated. And so um, the book tries to bring readers inside there and, and, and so show how you get there and, and, and what it what it's like um, on the inside of this thing that, that superficially looks like, you know, fun in the sun, but but in fact is is full of um, many more emotions and, and, and a much um sort of more rigorous um, I don't know if I'd call it consequential. I mean after all it's a it's a hobby. Um, but it's a um, it's a, it's a sort of darker and and um, more uh, and richer world than it appears at a glance, and, and more more demanding intellectually, believe it or not. William, you've lived and breathed through waves and on waves and in waves for a lot of your life. I'm just wondering, is there such a thing as the perfect wave? Does that actually exist? Um, I would say no. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a stock phrase. You know, it's been a cliche forever, and um, and in fact, was really popularized, I think, by this um, documentary film you may or may not remember from the 60s called Endless Summer. Um, it was a, uh, quite a, it was a sort of crossover hit, one of the very few um, artifacts from the world of surfing, you know, books, magazines, movies that, that, that crossed over and that, that um, non-surfing audiences could appreciate. And it was the story of a, um, a couple of guys who travel around the world, as they say, this is the mid-60s, looking for the perfect wave. And um, it was funny how that movie, I mean, it had a huge impact on me. I was just a kid, and, and, and all my friends, I mean, it really sort of warped our career goals at the age of, you know, 10. Um, this is what I want to do. It's, when I grow up, I want to travel around the world, you know. And uh, and I ended up actually doing that in my 20s when I finished my studies. I just I set off and, and spent um, nearly four years circling the globe, you know, working odd jobs and, and chasing waves, trying to find ways that nobody had surfed. And the irony of that is um, one that, that there was, it was a, the real thing, the endless summer was, was just kind of a, like a six week uh, film shoot. The, the two guys were, were great surfers of the day, Mike Hinson and Robert August, um, California. And uh, the filmmaker, Bruce Brown basically hired them. You know, he had an idea and let's do this. And, and they did it like, six-week shoot and, and, and called it a movie. Um, and then a whole impressionable generation, including me, thought this was life and, and this is what you had to do with your life when you grew up as a surfer. So, um, But the idea of the perfect wave, and they find it in South Africa in the movie, and, and it's all kind of hokey and, and contrived. I mean, they didn't really find it as they claim in the movie, and they didn't, uh, and it doesn't break so great 
you know, year round as they claim. I mean, it's, it's really um, sort of trumped up, so to speak. Um, and the reason I say no to the idea of a perfect wave, I guess, is because it waves are such. Um, they're not like some stationary object in nature. You know, it's not it's not a diamond or a, a rose, something you can contemplate. It's this. It's this kind of quick, violent. Uh, moment um, in the ocean at, at the end of a long chain of, of um, other forces, you know, the storm that creates the wave and sends it, and, and then as it, you know, feels the bottom and starts to break, and 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 I mean, it's another great cliche, but no two waves are the same. Um, I mean, there are great waves, and that's said from the surfer's point of view, a great, great wave. Um, but the idea of perfection as this kind of achieved and, and, and um, static thing, is it doesn't really apply at all to what surfing is. I was very interested in what you wrote in terms of how you're on a wave. And there's this violence and then there's this beauty and how you capture that beauty. But also, I think you describe it as the fear line. Can you talk me through all of this? I think somewhere you say that the surf was your refuge, your happy hiding place, but it was also a hostile wilderness, a dynamic, indifferent world. It's your enemy. It's your friend. It's the beauty. It's the drive. It's so many different things. But there is the dark side creeping up as you practice through the wave, isn't there? Yeah, I think that passage is is from quite early on in the book where I'm trying to account for, you know, learning to surf. That was, um, I grew up in, California, but we moved to Hawaii when I was 13. My dad got a job over there, um, and I've been surfing for a few years, and it was just this dream come true. And um, so, and we lived quite near the beach, and so I was surf constantly, and and um, in more challenging, um, exciting waves, and it was really great. But um, but it was in in my sort of description of you know learning to surf in those years, um, I tried to draw this distinction between surfing and other um, things one might do, other other sports, where there's always, especially when waves get a little bigger, um, there's always this uh, you know fear line, as you mentioned, that um, you have to reckon with what you can handle. You know, the waves are now getting bigger, they're getting more powerful. You know, can I go out there? Can I go over there where it's really um, concentrating its power? And, and, and the more exciting waves are there, but can I handle it? Or, you know, worst case, will I drown? Um, so that's always there. And, 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 you know, as you get older, you get stronger, you get more competent, it, it, it moves back, it moves back. What, what was scary last year is manageable this year. Um, but that, that factor, that aspect of surfing is, um, really distinguishes it. I mean, I don't think that kids, you know, heading out to the rugby fields that worry, you know, gee, I might die today. Um, and but but that's that's there that kind of shadow. Um, as I say not every day, um, smaller days not. But but as as the waves get better and the waves get more powerful, um, it's it's a constant consideration. And so it was this very mixed. Um, I, I was writing I think in, in in that passage also about just I'd been confirmed. I was raised Roman Catholic and 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 then given by my parents the the freedom to decide. You know you're now an adult in the eyes of the church. You don't have to go to mass if you don't want to. Um, I couldn't believe that when I heard it and, and promptly said, okay, then I won't. And, and then felt quite sort of adrift. You know, my family was the oldest kid. Um, they're still going to mass and I've got my Sundays free. And of course, spent all that time in the water and, and the kind of um, ways I felt adrift and, and, and like I had um, 
perhaps you know to overblow it slightly to like I joined some other church this this um, sort of pagan form of worship out in the ocean and um, and and these uh, sort of existential questions are, are are around you all the time. Do you think it's possible though when you love something so much and you've got huge drive and passion that some days our judgments maybe our judgment call it can change and do you think on it's a given that on any given day that we can know what our limits are on the water now I'm asking you this as a sailor I'm just wondering that we have very good days and we have very bad days and we can make brilliant judgment calls and then it can all fall apart yeah that's of course the the um the great unknown, as you you know, judge your abilities. Can I handle this? Both as a kid and 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 in one's maturity, and then now in for me, in one's declining powers. I'm in my sixties now, and um, I don't surf as well as I used to. I still have, you know, I know as much as I did. I my judgment is not impaired. I think, oh, I can do that, but can I really? You know, as as, as I say, the waves get more serious. But from from childhood making those judgments i think i can handle this but of course you don't know what what's going to develop um how how critical the situation may become and and often and a lot of the stories i tell um in this book um it's a what what happens is you know the unexpected you know um suddenly your board snaps or the or the the, board, the waves get bigger or or you know a huge current develops that wasn't there before and and you're your plans all come unstuck, and as you say, the the brilliant day can can quickly turn into a nightmare. You describe the surfing scene, whether it's in Australia, Sri Lanka, Hawaii, California. <laughs> the memoir visits so many different interesting locations, but you describe it all as very esoteric or subcultural, obsessive, not mainstream. I'm just wondering how much of that has changed. I think you know popularity of surfing has just um, oh, just increased exponentially over the 50 years I've been doing it and um, it's kind of awful um, that is to say um, uh, the good and well-known and easily accessible surf spots get more and more crowded um, you see this in Ireland as well as um, you know other countries certainly the US and East Coast West Coast Hawaii Australia um, where I lived for a while and, and recently visited a couple of times, um, the crowding factor is, is just as constant. I mean, driving surfers to travel more and more to try to find less crowded ways. So um, people who surf are not really, except for people maybe in the industry selling something to do with surfing, um, surfers are generally not happy with the, um, increased popularity of surfing. I see that surfing will now be included in the 2020 Olympics in Tokyo, um, which um, is not happy news for me and a lot of surfers who think like me because the sort of mainstreaming of surfing the idea that sort of anybody can do it and 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 everybody will i mean it's not that so many people will become serious surfers because it's such a commitment of of time and 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 more than that is it's um you have to really kind of submerge in it um to to become somebody who's going to be surfing serious waves and, and competing for those scarce resources um still um the sort of mass popularity is um i don't know makes me uncomfortable it's it's i i find uh, myself in conversations with people telling me they're going to take up surfing you know on their next vacation sort of thing because you see it all around you in, in commercial settings you know everything being sold with surfing imagery and 
and uh, and and an increasingly kind of um, healthy mainstream um, kind of sport framework around surfing, but that, that really barely fits. I mean, most surfers have nothing to do with competition, or uh, I mean, you can go your whole life surfing and never even see a, a, a contest. You know, the formalized competitive part of surfing is is really way over at the margins of of the thing itself. But um, yeah, it's changed a lot from being relatively obscure and subcultural to being. Uh, kind of right in the center of, of especially youth culture. You talk a lot about wave judgment and reading the waves. And you, what I find really interesting is, and whether it's you're a sailor, you're a swimmer, you're a fisherman, um, whatever you're doing on the water, you know, there's swell size, um, wind speed, wind direction, all of that stuff. In your, in your case, you're dealing a lot with sandbars and stuff like that. But a lot of the deciding factors and staying on, on on your surfboard are actually non-oceanic. So it's your mood, your state of presence, your muscles, and how you how you deploy them. I suppose it's true. It's true. There's this combination of of this the athleticism of surfing and 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 having that all together and and doing what you need to do to surf well. Um, but then there's the the judgment, the sort of ocean judgment. Um, that's the, I think the kind of less appreciated part in a way. Um, I mean, anybody can watch a surf video and say, oh, look at the wonderful things that guy is doing. Um, but um, if you surf and, and, and you have you know, you have some reasonable competence, um, that part of it um, is, is only sort of semi-conscious. The, the, the real concentration is on, as you say, you know, swell direction and, and the tide and, and how currents are pulling across the bottom and and the sort of patterns of, of sets, as we call them, when a group of waves come, um, what angle will they come at, where exactly will they break, and, and where do you need to be. Um, that um, study, this very, very close study, I mean, most people have a, have a local spot, you know, a place they, they mainly surf or, or a group of places around near where they live, and they are locals trying to get those spots wired, as we say. And um, that work is, is of over years and, and, and is so, I mean, the quality of attention is so acute. Um, and again, not something obvious, you know, at a glance to someone passing by, but the, the people you see out there in the water are are really, really very close students of a very small patch of coast and in all conditions, you know, year-round and every wind condition. And they're all trying to basically to understand and, and to predict what the ocean is going to do next and then to, you know, sort of be in the right place doing the right thing for what's going to happen next. And it's this, it's this constant um, uh, puzzle, this constant, you know, like struggle to, to, to guess and, and to get it right. And, and, and that's a lot of what's going on out in the water. So much concentration. You describe Aswell as one of God's jazz solos. I thought that was brilliant. Um, I just got me thinking, how much of surf science is beyond our understanding? Do you think we can know it all? Uh, no, we can't. Um, I think that um, passage was, was trying to get at the limits of, of how much you can understand. Because um, there are all these patterns and and. and Surfers are constantly discussing, oh, this is like, you know, that other Southwest swell we got last year, you know, after the storm that, you know, and, and sort of trying to place things in an analytic context. And so, you know, with with this wave interval, um, you know, that's the, the number of seconds 
um, between the waves passing a fixed point, um, which is a kind of crucial um, bit of understanding what's going on with waves. And, 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 and all these other variables you're trying to sort of feed into your understanding of what you're looking at and what you ought to be doing while you're surfing. Um, then there's everything beyond that little grid that you can set up to, to, to help you and, and that you can't um, possibly predict and, and need to deal with as it appears. And, and so there's a plenty of luck factors into it there and, and, and the limitations of your ability to understand what the ocean is doing are, are, are constantly being uh, sort of reinforced and, and, and you're constantly being reminded of them. It's a bit like humanity and people. You're always wondering what they're up to. What are they doing, aren't you? <laughs> and certainly as a journalist, I'm sure that's taken you in some very interesting directions. Can you describe Fiji in 1978? I loved reading about all the planning um, that you did getting to, um, have I pronounced this correctly, Tavarua Island, is it? Yeah, yeah. Can you describe it? Because I, I'd say a lot has changed now since 78 because obviously lots of hotels, you've got water systems in there now. When you were there, you had to go over on a boat holding all your water, didn't you? Yeah, that was um, sort of a high point in that long trip I mentioned that um, well, a friend and I started in, yeah, in 78 um, and we were in the South Pacific um, in Tonga and Samoa and Fiji and you know, island groups looking for waves in a lot of places where um, surfers hadn't been before. People had never seen a surfboard. And we just had, um, this was you know long before the internet, of course, and um, Google Earth and all that good stuff. So we just had um, navigational maps you know, um, that we'd carry with us and, and study very closely, trying to figure out where, where, where there might be good waves and where the prevailing trade winds might strike those waves at, at the angle you hope for with surfing. And, um, and we'd found some pretty good waves and, um, and often, you know, been fooled places we thought would be great, didn't have anything or had, you know, rocks that didn't appear on the charts or, um, I mean, it was this long, slow process of learning what's, what's actually there as opposed to what's on the maps. Um, and but then yes, Tavarua in, in West Fiji um, was the probably the the greatest discovery of my surfing life. Um, it was a tiny uninhabited island off Viti Levu, the main main island in Fiji. Um, and we weren't the very first guys to surf there. We'd heard we'd overheard on on marine radio on a yacht um, a little sort of crackling reference to a perfect 300 yard left. Um, which is a um, a phrase to prick up any surfer's ears, um, and so we'd had a notion that that somebody had found some great wave out there, and, and eventually we ran across one of the guys um, in a little town called Lautoka, and and got him to tell us where they had been. So there'd been a couple of people who'd, who'd found this wave off off a sailboat, um, and yeah, we didn't have a boat; we were just you know backpacking with surfboards, and and so we got some fishermen from a village um, across the way, across the channel, to take us out there, and just camped. And there was yeah, there was no fresh water on the island; it was a tiny place, and but the setup was it was, it was fairly fickle. It was a long; there were some many days without waves. Um, it was inconsistent, but um, but when 